Um, Today the Bible reading is going to be from Acts chapter 17, starting at verse 16 and going through to verse 34. Give you a second to get up in your Bibles or on your phones. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you were ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Demarius, and a number of others. Hi, everyone. Welcome to my lounge room as we uh, kick around Uh, the next talk in our series on Acts. This will be the last one uh, in our current series in Acts before we move on uh, and get ready for Easter. Uh, Disappointed that we can't be with you as a family. Uh, We're here in isolation on the couch in our home uh, for seven days, but looking forward to being with you real soon uh, for sure. You know, as as I think about just being being stuck here, um, it's just one of those things in which you look around our world and don't you just feel like um, it's just so overwhelming at times? You know, I was thinking about isolation rules, and I'm, I'm glad they've changed a little bit. But, you know, the, the, the floods up in Lismore, um, 
the COVID cases rising around the world. You think of the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Um, think of, of, of the petrol prices going up, um, cost of living, trying to get a house. Like just as you look around the world, as you talk about, how do you feel? I mean, how do you feel? And then, then we think about God and, and, and the God we know and love, the Jesus who, who has this great story of salvation and, and we know that the creation's heading to a point. I mean, how do you feel when you think about all that? Because in Acts 17 today, we, we meet Paul who's arrived in this new place. Um, he wasn't planning on visiting Athens, but he's kind of plopped there after um, being persecuted in Philippi and Berea and Thessalonica and he's here and, and he feels really distressed as he sees what's happening in this part of the world. And so maybe you can relate to that, just an overwhelming sense of, uh, well, um, good news is that Acts 17 speaks to that and actually gives us a concrete hope. So, so join me as we, we look at what Paul said, how he leaned into Jesus and was able to actually give one of the most famous speeches in the entire Bible um, when he was compelled by the love of Jesus to speak up uh, about what he saw. So it begins in, in verse 16, and, and Paul's here, he's, he's in Athens, which is this cultural hub of the Roman Empire. There was a glory and a lure and, about Athens that just attracted people. One writer, ancient writer, said that it was easier to find a god than a man in Athens. Another one said, Athens has more images of idols than all of Greece put together, and that Athens is just, is just one great altar to the gods, right? It's an impressive place, and history tells us that too, that Athens in Paul's day was uh, an incredible place to be. But you know, when Paul looked around, had a, a walking sightseeing tour of Athens, something else happened. He felt very different than what uh, the culture of the day was. In verse 16, it says, in his own spirit, he was deeply aroused in a negative way. We, he was distressed, right? This gut reaction happened as he's walking around, just can't believe what he's seeing. And I felt like this, I had a gut reaction uh, when I went to the eastern states uh, a few weeks ago and, and I got off the plane and, and there was no masks. And it took me back, right, that no one was wearing them. Um, and it took me a while to adjust to this kind of normal life back in the east. And while I was happy not to have a mask for a while, for a few days at times, uh, Paul wasn't happy with what he saw. His heart was aching with a city full of idols. And this deep sadness washes over him. And this verse, right at the beginning, is, is key at understanding Paul's famous speech. You see, later when we get to it, he's not trying to win an intellectual argument. He's deeply persuaded that this city needs Jesus. And he's distressed. He is a healthy distress, actually, for God's honor and people's souls, which is why he's compelled to speak up. Compelled by the love of Jesus for the love of people. Have a look at verse 17. It says, So Paul reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as the marketplace, day by day with anyone, with those who happened to be there. So you notice Paul sees Athens swimming in idols, and he doesn't complain about it. He, he doesn't separate himself from the world and say, goodness, I should get out of here as quick as I can. You know, he actually goes into their world. He enters in their world in a thoughtful, attentive way. He begins to reason with them. He begins to engage with them. He talks about the folly of idols. He talks about the living Jesus and the resurrection of the dead and judgment to come. But notice too that Paul does something new that we haven't seen him do before. He actually goes into the marketplace, not just the synagogue, right? Now, the marketplace was the scene of public life. 
You came here to find a job. Idlers hung about. Lawsuits are settled. The idols of Athens are given a prominent parcel of land in which to be set up and worshipped. Um, food, family, friends, fashion, philosophy, politics. It just swirls around the marketplace of Athens day after day. And Paul goes into this space to chat with anyone and everyone about Jesus. See, Paul's compelled to speak, so he does something about it. But he's also speaking to compel, right? Have a look what happens as he's here for a few days in verse 18. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers begin to debate with Paul. Some of them ask, what's this babbler trying to say? Others remark, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They say this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So these, these groups of philosophers, very clever, they're, they're thinkers and they're listening to Paul. And, and, and Paul is able to engage with them. I mean, Jesus fits into intellectual spaces very well. And it sounds funny to their ears. They call him a babbler. The, the, um, the CSB translation uh, is a little more, more forceful in what, what they're getting at. They say, you're an ignorant show-off. Have you ever seen a chicken peck around at the ground? We had chickens in a, in a while, a few years ago, and uh, and you watch them just all day pecking, and, and they're indiscriminate, aren't they? They just get rocks and stones and seeds and dirts and grains, pecking without concern. And that's what they mean and think Paul's like when they call him a babbler. The Paul's just picking up breadcrumbs of ideas, scraps of stories, and just mashing them together with no thought, no care. That's what they call him. Jesus sometimes sounds a bit like that to others, doesn't it? But you know what? For a babbler, gee, they're curious, aren't they? You see, Athens is a very religious city. And in verse 21, we learn that they spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. And this Jesus, he was a new idea. They call it a new teaching. They say, you're bringing a strange idea to our ears. We want to know what it means. You see, Greeks had no hope of an afterlife. And so when, when they heard about the resurrection in such concrete ways from Paul, it was weird, it was curious. So what they do is they take Paul to the council at Mars Hill to decide if Paul's God should be given a parcel of land with all the other Athenian gods, right? So verse 19 to 20, they take him aboard him to the Areopagus and they said, may we know this new teaching? See, this would have been like going to Rondemore on a Friday night and giving a TED talk right in the middle of everyone. Very public, very prominent. And at this point, there's probably about 600 people on this council who are all listening to Paul. And they're very polite, aren't they? You know, Paul was able to listen and hear what they were saying and engage so much so that they say, may we know what this teaching is. See, Paul's now given permission in the public sphere to talk openly about Jesus. It's an incredible opportunity. Well, what's he going to say? Well, he stood up in verse 22 and he said, People of Athens, I see in every way that you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So, you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. I mean, this is so clever, isn't it? Paul is not going to talk about a new God. But point out the God who they've been trying to feel and find their way towards with all the idols, they just haven't been able to. He can agree with lots in their culture. You guys are heaps religious. He's going to proclaim the God they're searching for, but are stuck and they can't find him. And he begins by looking at all the parcels of land and says, let me tell you about this unknown God. But let me tell you how he's different. 
you've got him as a parcel of land called the unknown God. But in verse 24, Paul says, the God who made the world and everything in it, there's the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples built by human hands. You know, Paul begins by saying, you don't make a place for God to live. He's actually made a place for you to live. The entire world is dripping with God's fingerprints, which means behind all you see, Athenians, is a creative God and you're living on his land. Um, How could you think that you could contain this God that I'm proclaiming to you, the one who is the ruler and maker of everything? How could you contain him when the highest of heavens come? Which means if this is the God he's talking about, if the highest heavens can't contain him, if he's created and made everything, verse 25 God doesn't really need you to serve him, does he? God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives life and breath to everything else. For the Athenians, they needed to animate and give life to their idols to please them, giving them food and drink and knowledge and pleasure. But not Paul's God. You don't give Paul's God life. He generously gives you life. We're dependent on him. He's not dependent upon us. And his generosity is seen to all living things because you are alive. Which means this God who has created life in the world is not distant or uninvolved. It turns out he's more involved than you think. Verse 26, For from one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did, not, sorry, God did this so they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he's not far from any of us. See, the Athenians were a proud people who thought their intellect and knowledge made them superior to others. But it turns out, Paul's saying, behind you guys, behind your your cleverness and your land that you've got, actually, you know God's allowing you to live there? See, unlike the Athenians who think they have to give permission for a new God to arrive in their city, Paul flips it and says, guys, do you know that God's actually seeking you out? Moreover, do you know that God's actually really very close? And actually, do you know that that's, that's true because your own poets and philosophers have said it? See, Paul quotes then two sources, two philosophers and poets, to show that his argument for God's existence in this way fits with their thinking all along. See, Paul was well read. He could engage with the intellectual minds of the day to argue for God's existence, his creativity, for who this God is. His point, though, is that this God is deeply personal. He's not distant, he's cold. He's the omnipresent God, not limited to a time or a season or confined to a location. And that means if if Paul's God is omnipresent, knowing and, and planning the lands and the people for all eternity, then don't think you can just fashion him out of stone or gold. I mean, look at 29. Therefore, since we're God's offspring, we should not think the divine is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human skill. (laughs) You see, not only is God unmakeable, he's the one who made us. The great sin of Athens is that they think they can make up gods and rule over them. You see, at Christmas, I got uh, got this little device that I put on my keys that beeps when you lose them. Maybe you've got one. And I was really excited to get it. And, uh, and it tracks it on my phone and it beeps when you, when you ask it to. And I, I thought, uh, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll show Natasha how uh, wonderful this is. So I said, Tasha, hide my keys, and I'll show you how, how good and clever this is to find them. She hid them, and I get out my phone, and it starts beeping my keys. I'm like, oh, I know where they are, I can hear them. And then I look at my phone, it's de- telling me within centimeters where they are. And I get to the, the spot where it says you found them. And I look down, and I think, I've got no keys. And, and I search, 
I search uh, on, on the couch and I'm looking under the cushions and I cannot find my keys. And then it's, I actually have to ask her in the end, look, I know they're here because it's, I can hear them, I can see it on my phone, but where are they? I hadn't a clue. Um, it turns out that she put them under the couch and I was just ignorant in looking for them in the right place. And that's a bit like the Athenians here. They're searching. They've got the bits and pieces around them to point them to the God who made everything, who can't be fashioned by human hands, who's actually, they're, they're, own, they're made in God's image, in fact. They're just not finding the God they're designed for. And so Paul wraps up this speech in verse 30 and, and says, here's what it all means. Here's what it means. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he set a day when he'll judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. You see, the proof of what Paul says, it lands on the resurrection of Jesus, verse 31. For the Athenians, their mantra was, and one of their own people said, when a man dies, the earth drinks his blood, there's no resurrection. That's what the Athenians said. That's what they believed. But what it also meant was the Athenians and the council that Paul was standing at, human judgments about these things mattered. That was the final council, right? But what they missed, what they failed to see, and what we often fail to see too, is that human judgments, as good as they are, are terribly inadequate. But you see, this man who was raised, this resurrected man, this God-man, in fact, he will make a final judgment about us. He will judge with justice, not just looking outside, but looking deep inside of each of us. And the question is, how will you have, how will you have a right judgment made about you by this omnipresent, eternal, creating God? Well, you need to repent. Athenians, repent from idols, turn to the man who will judge you because he rose from the dead. But you know, upon hearing this resurrection, if Paul got them and they could see it all, the resurrection was the ultimate stumbling block for the Athenians. In verse 32, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again. In verse 34, some of them even became followers of Paul and believed. Now, this chapter ends with three typical reactions to the message of Jesus. Firstly is belief. Some people do believe, right? It, it, it sounds crazy, but it's, it's true that God is actually drawing people to himself and preaching the resurrection and the judgment to come, the life in Jesus, turning from idols, repenting in him. People believe. And some of you have believed that too. But some of you might be here today and you're thinking, I'm, I'm hearing it, I'm processing it. I'm not quite there. I'm not really sure. So this is curiosity. I just need more information. I need to think about it more. We see that here. But we also see a third type of reaction, don't we? The snickering. They laughed at Paul. They laughed at Jesus. The resurrection was too much. I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine who doesn't even know Jesus. And we we're talking about, uh, after dinner, we we're doing the dishes and we we're talking about uh, Jesus for some reason. I can't remember how we got there. And I explained about Jesus and then I mentioned the resurrection. And he said to me, Luke, I can believe everything you're saying that someone might die and it has a benefit and God might atone for me, for, for my sin through what this man's done. And, and I get that Jesus is a good example, but the fact he rose from the dead, I mean, you don't believe that someone actually rose from the dead, do you? That just doesn't happen, right? And I thought, even at that moment, the stumbling block was the resurrection. And the people in Athens, my friend thought Jesus was as foolish as a chicken pecking around on the ground indiscriminately at crumbs. So, 
there's much to learn about engaging with people today from what Paul said to the Athenians about how um, we see him argue well, the intellectual side of things, how he could engage with them at a cultural level. But you know, what I want to really focus in on to close is that Paul, it all began, Paul's heart began with a healthy distress for God's honour and people's souls. A healthy distress for God's honour and people's souls. Paul was compelled to speak up when he saw the idols. In verse 17, 16, Paul was waiting, he was greatly distressed. And that led him to give one of the most famous speeches in the Bible, but it began by being compelled for the love of Jesus, distressed that people were stuck worshipping idols. And his distress caused him to speak up, go into their spaces lovingly, kindly, smartly, caringly. He knew that idols would only dehumanize the people more and more and more. He knew that Jesus' blood wasn't just swallowed up in the earth, but that his blood speaks for us, atones for our sin before a holy God. And it's only when the Athenians know Jesus that life can begin. And as we think about this, this is where it must start for us too. Do we have a healthy distress for God's honor and people's souls? Do you know this too? Do you know this? Have you forgotten this? I mean, as you look around our world, as I said at the start, how do you feel? At one level, there should be great distress, but also never despair. After all, to bring people to Christ, Paul knew that that was the hope they needed. And he would gladly go to their places, speak their language, listen and hear to do that. Which means Paul had a healthy um, had a healthy distress for God's honour and people's souls. But he also knew scripture and the culture really well. He took Jesus to them, synagogues, marketplaces, anyone who would listen. Workplaces, online, dinner with friends, gym buddies, conferences, all those places, Jesus fits perfectly into them. Remember a few weeks ago, the same gospel is good for every soil type. And so I want to end with three examples of what Paul does that we can learn from today. Knowing scripture and knowing culture, putting the two together. First thing we see is that Paul looked. Verse 22. Look at our culture. People of Athens, I see that you're very religious, extremely religious in every way. Do you look around and see the connection points with God and the gospel? Paul's able to connect Jesus to them, bringing, connecting the dots, so to speak, from what he sees to show them God. Here's an example of what I thought about this week. Did you see, and maybe you did, the Buddy Franklin 1,000th goal? I mean, how amazing was it? A thousand goals in the AFL. Uh, so much talent, so much time, fitness. Six people have done it in the history of the AFL. It was amazing. And did you see everyone run onto the Oval too? I mean, how wonderful that we just, I mean, I want to celebrate that because it's incredible. But I also thought that I think God's actually giving us moments like that in this life and we just, we love glory, we celebrate, we, we want to honor amazing feats because I think that it just whets our appetite for something something better, something bigger. You see, I think there's something more longer lasting, uh, better, so to speak, than kicking a thousand goals. I think all of us will run, run day, run onto the pitch, not cheering about someone kicking a goal, but actually we can cheer for King Jesus. Who hasn't just kicked a goal, but actually brings us into God's presence. I mean, wouldn't you love to live for a glory like that, that's eternal, longer lasting, never fades or changes? Because that's what Jesus came to do, to realign us to him. So I can acknowledge the good and also springboard into say there's something better and this just whets our appetite for it. So Paul looked, but Paul listened. It says in 17, he reasoned in the synagogue. He conversed. I mean, the question we have to ask is, are you good at listening? Do you pick up cues? Do you ask questions? 
We have to listen to our friends, and they're going to listen to us as well. Sure, some of them thought he was a seed picker scratching at the ground, but at the same time, he could engage at their level and have a conversation. We might do it like this. Hey, um, did you see the Will Smith slap this week? I mean, gee, it made headlines, didn't it? And it wasn't just horrible. Um, I mean, how did you feel when, when it happened? I know lots of people that felt really anxious and, and almost triggered by seeing someone do that on the screen. Um, it certainly wasn't a good thing at all. It was horrible. Um, but wasn't it great that he actually did apologize too? You know, this week I heard one person say um, that maybe Will Smith's just faking it. Maybe he's not the nice guy we think he is and that this is the real Will Smith. He's just acting all the time. And I thought about that and I thought, well, don't we all feel injustice at times though? Don't we have moments when we overreact as well? Because I thought about me and thought, gee, I reckon I'm probably more like Will Smith than I think at times. I overreact. I say and do things that I'm not proud of or that I regret. Moreover, I'm really glad that I don't have to go through life bearing the weight of that each day, bearing the weight of injustice done against me, because I know that Jesus carried injustice on the cross, my injustice, so that when I feel that, I can cry out to the God who knows what it's like and and the weight can be taken off and there's forgiveness on the other side. And and gee, I'm so glad that, that Jesus cancels my sin, so I don't want to cancel Will Smith and his and that. Jim just reminded that I'm often like that too and wouldn't you like to know that forgiveness as well when we do mess up? And then thirdly to finish, Paul liaised. In verse 28, some of your own poets have said we are his offspring. See, Paul used secular thinking and the scriptures to inform how he spoke and what he challenged. It's important to see that when addressing philosophers and thinkers, Paul didn't jettison scripture for something better. He used what the Athenians knew. He used God's salvation history converging to bring them Jesus, because the same gospel is good for all soul types. For example, this week, early in the week before COVID, uh, Natasha uh, gave a senior school talk at her assembly, and she began by talking about Harry Potter. And, and, and in this, in her talk to these year 12 students, she said, you know, Harry never fit in. He, he was never loved. He never belonged to that faithful night when Hagrid said those famous words, you're a wizard, Harry. And at that moment, gee, didn't he just find meaning and hope and identity and belonging? And then Tasha said, you know, isn't that what we all long for? Don't we feel like we belong in this muggle world, never fitting in, longing for someone to swoop in and say to us, I've got you? And then she drew the link and said, hey, you know that we see that in real life, for real, through Jesus? That on the road of life that we're on, with all the bumps and bruises, someone did come to get us. Not just bringing us to this make-believe world, but to the real-life God to bring us to where we belong, where we can find meaning, purpose, existence. Not because we're so wonderful and lovely and, and great, but actually because God is and God makes us that. And gee, wouldn't you like to belong to that God? And she finished her talk finishing uh, talking about Jesus that way, bringing in the connection points, liaising with our culture. And see, in summary, Paul was compelled to speak. He was speaking to compel and today, when we look around our culture, when we see the sadness, the devastation, the joy, the glory, are we able, with restless hearts, with the love of God and people, fumbling around in conversations for sure, but seeking to bring people to Jesus, to the one true God who will satisfy them alone and not idols? Because the great hope of the resurrection of Jesus is that's true, and it can be true for you and me. So question over coffee today, uh, is your heart and mind 
compelled by the grace and love of Jesus too. Why don't you share that with someone? Share about when you've seen our culture get it so right, so wrong, and just pray. Pray for someone who doesn't even know Jesus that you'd be given wisdom and words to say, to speak and be compelled by the love of Christ too. Let me pray. Our great God, you didn't leave us, but you came into the world as a speaking, real, true life God in the person and work of Jesus. And in his death and resurrection, you died for our sin, you gave us, give us new life, and now we can be compelled by your love to go into the world as your ambassadors, proclaiming there is righteousness and hope and joy and peace found only in Jesus, and it will never be found anywhere else. Never as longer-lasting, never as satisfying, never as full, except in the God who has made a way for us to know him. And gee, Lord, would you just work in our hearts and minds for that end? I pray this week, wherever we're at, that you would remind us, compel us by your love, to be an ambassador for you, however that looks, just like Paul was. And that maybe, Lord, we would see someone saved, someone following you, because, gee, you've been so kind to us. In your name we pray all of this. Amen.